Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we are going to be talking about a ton, a metric ton of books that come yep. out this week. So many books that we're going to get right into it and kick it off with a big one. Teenage I wish we just first off, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot of people are going to speculate that, you know, in The Stack, we'll be talking about Miss Marvel's death and Justin also has disappeared and maybe mm. died, so... You know, coincidence or are they the same? I guess we'll find out. Not with this yeah. book, but with the next book. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Stranger Things, number one, from IDW Dark Horse Comics, written by Cameron Chittock, art by Pharaoh Pay. This is exactly what it says on the box. The Stranger Things kids head to New York City. For a school vacation, school trip, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's some stuff going on that brings the world of TMNT and Stranger Things together. Pete, I know you were pretty stoked for this. How do you think they brought everything together? What'd you I think? mean, I was a little surprised that the the group at uh, Stranger Things don't know about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, the mm-hmm. fact that they were like, Whoa. I'm sorry, is your name Michelangelo? I mean, that part, you know, was a little bit like, you don't know who the fucking turtles are. But other than that small little moment, I loved every bit of it. Yeah, the art reminded me a little bit of the old Eastman and Laird style. Um, so, yeah, I, I just was uh, very happy with this uh, team up, even though it was kind of like just putting two things together. I still was like, yay, wee! Uh, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, I wasn't kind of like blown away by the plot or anything, but I was still having a good time with it. Yeah, exactly. It does exactly what you need it to do in terms of having a mashup of this stuff. It hits all the Stranger Things characters correctly. It hits all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles characters correctly. This is a mild spoiler here, but of course they figure out a way to take demo dogs and Mausers and literally mash them up together. There's a fun little teaser about what's actually going on here that brings these two worlds together at the end. Um, And you know, it's it's used in some New York stuff. I'd lo- I'm, hopefully they'll continue with it as they go. I like the idea of seeing these Stranger Things kids in 1980s New York's. My one quibble that I'm going to throw out there is wow. there is a scene in the subway and they have mm-hmm. to create a distraction in the subway. And the distraction they cause is on a MetroCard machine, which didn't exist then. <laughs> Not in any way at all. I know that's very stupid. That but I, I, so I was saying, I live in New York, and you used yeah. to live in New York, but like I was staring at that paddle for so long because I was like, is that supposed to be something else? Because there's like carnival tickets popping out of this thing. But no, I think it's yeah, a, uh, somebody saw a somebody. Re- yeah, they saw a visual reference for a metric card machine. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's in yeah. the subway. But back in the day, not only were there not metro cards, there was tokens. Yeah, I used to go around with like so many tokens in my pockets. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I still have a couple of tokens. Uh, they were cool. Yeah, it sucked when they got rid of those, but mm-hmm. you know they probably were getting a lot of fake uh, coins put in the thing. So yeah, fake coins put in the things, and also tokens were cool, but having fifty tokens in your pockets at all times is. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. It's easier to just kind of swipe. Mm-hmm. It's also not now you just kind of you can just I just touch the credit card to the thing now. I don't even have to get a Metro card or deal uh, with any of that. You they know? should have set this. That's what this should have been about is being able to use Omni to tap your phone. To the, <laughs> all right. Anyway, we're getting lost in the weeds here. This is a good yeah. book. If you're a fan of either property, I think you're going to enjoy this. I agree. Next up, as teased by Pete earlier on, Fallen Friend, The Death of Miss Marvel, number one, from Marvel, written by G. Willow Wilson, Fallen Mark Wade, and Saladin Ahmed, art by Takeshi Miyazawa, uh, Umberto Ramos, and Andrea DeVito. This is bringing together three teams who have dealt very heavily with Miss Marvel. One, the team from Miss Marvel. The second one from Challengers? No, Champions, Champions, Champions. Uh, and the third one from a more modern run on Miss Marvel, as well as working at some stuff from the Spider-Man run where she was killed off. And this is all bouncing around different aspects of Miss Marvel as her friends and family and heroes she worked with pay tribute to each other, uh, to her. Uh, This, we've been very negative on this storyline, but just taken on its own. How did you feel about this book? Well, it's hard to, to just take it on its own. Uh, yeah. But I will for a moment and talk about the positives. Um, I thought it was very moving. The the part at the end where Spider-Man shows up and says uh, Miss Marvel was his hero, like, got me. I was like, oh, that hit me good. Captain America being in a mosque. Those are powerful images, and I think they were very cool, and I loved it. Um, it was – it's just hard – I think killing off Miss Marvel is dumb and I'm sad we're still here. So that part of it is the only kind of negative thing, but I really enjoyed the issue as kind of like this cool homage uh, to Miss Marvel and, and talking about how great she was. So like, I'm, I was happy for all the kind of like, uh, cameos and stuff that we got and how uh, important she is as a character. I just am just kind of like, I can't believe that we're still going through with this because I don't like it as an idea. But um, I thought it was a very moving issue. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here that it is entirely unnecessary that it happened. I'm also... I was dreading most of the issue, the inevitable reveal at the end yeah. of like, surprise, she's alive. And I'm glad they didn't go that route because at least they were uh, let the teams pretend we're not ending up there <laughs> eventually because we all know we are. Um, and like you said, just in terms of representation, I don't want to speak for any other groups or anything like that, but having this general acceptance of Muslim people, of people who are uh, worshiping Islam and uh, paying tribute to people, both through the culture and the religion. I thought that's very good. Like it is good yeah. to have that sort of positive, positive images of it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's super important. You know what I mean? Because it, it's uh, unfortunately gets kind of painted in a negative connotation. So it's nice mm-hmm. to see it in a positive light for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So in that sense, I'm glad it exists. And I like all of these writers and artists. So I'm glad oh to read God, that. Yeah. But it's still a frustrating read at the same time, which 
in my mind, takes away a lot from the emotional impact because I'm so annoyed by this storyline and this plot point that it has to exist that it's hard for me to connect emotionally in the way that I should be connecting with the book. But yeah, that said, there you go. It's Let's still great, though. Yeah. Let's move on to talk about World's Finest Teen Titans, number one from DC Comics, written once again by Mark Wade, art by Emanuela Lupicino. This is going back to the original Teen Titans team, now still teens, but in a more modern context. Uh, it actually feels to me, it was funny reading these sort of back to back. It feels to me a little bit like what Mark Wade was doing on Champions, except with yeah. the Titans. And I don't mind that because I like Champions and I like his take on Champions. And mm-hmm. I think it works here. How'd you feel about it, Pete? Yeah, I really liked it. I think this uh, Wade guy is a good writer. Uh, you guys should look out for his stuff because it's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, yeah, first off, some amazing covers. Um, and uh, I love the the way it started with the Not Today Satan reference. That was fun. Uh, but you got to see kind of Robin dealing with this leadership mantle, which I like for him. I, uh, You know, I think, you know... I'm not a teen, uh, but I was one time. And uh, you have this thing about like trying to be your own, what you think is right, but also your parents really kind of pushing your agenda. So I love the back and forth where you had Robin kind of getting a lecture from Batman about leadership and then him kind of struggling with how to deal with that himself. And I thought that was a cool kind of moment that I think does represent uh, what it's like to be teens. You have these like teachers and students all telling you what to do, what to say, who to be. And you have this kind of rebellious, I can do this, give me a chance kind of feeling. And uh, yeah, it's, I think uh, it's captured uh, in an interesting way here. So I, I really liked it. And I'll give a shout out to Emanuela Lupacino's art, which is just this great, really clean superhero art. It reminds me a little bit of what Cliff Chiang does sometimes, but yeah. um, it's different enough. And uh, yeah, overall, enjoyable book. If you're looking for a good Teen Titans book, there's the one to check out. Next up, Fish Flies, number one from Image Comics by Jeff Lemire. Now, if you picked up the free comic book day version of this, that was actually just the first half or so of this book. You don't even really get the concept until the very last page. This is creepy as heck, particularly if gross. you don't like... It's gross, it's dude. It's gross. It's uh, just straight It is up about gross. a convenience store robbery that goes wrong that leads to a dude being bitten by a bunch of fish flies. He befriends a snotty-nosed kid who feels very alone, and things spiral in weird directions from there. That's funny that you say that, because I think this book is about bugs and the Mm -hmm. fact that they're fucking gross. And then, you know, like... Uh, just imagine having a lot of them in one place just really freaks you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the part where he has to take his shoes off and w- w- walk across the bugs kind of made me think of like a Indiana Jones moment where he's like, he has to keep going, but there's bugs everywhere. And it's like, just go home and run home. It's not worth it. But um yeah, it's uh, like you said, there's uh, there's more going on. But, um, you know, uh, Jeff Lemire likes to kind of walk this line of like this interesting kind of idea and then also some kind of bug slash animal crossover moment. So uh, it's Jeff Lemire being Jeff Lemire. But this time it's bugs. 
Um, I, I think it's, you know, all that silliness aside and all my, no, no, no. Stu- I, I love the, I'm completely stuck on the idea of uh, you cut to the image comics office and they're like, so Jeff, you've been on a real run here. All yeah. your stuff has been really good. What's your, what's your next pitch? And he's like, I don't know. Bugs are fucking gross. <laughs> Like, we great. love that for you, Jeff. Sounds yeah. good. Keep coasting yeah. on that sweet tooth money, buddy. Dude, come on. He's not coasting. This guy's <laughs> yeah, worked really he's hard. Not. He's working very hard. Yeah, he cranks out <laughs> a lot he's of amazing He's doing a lot material. of work, okay? Yeah. He's very yeah. tired. He's very tired and Stop. he deserves to rest. No, this is an original idea. Jeffy, we Jeffy, if you're listening to this, go to sleep, baby. Go to sleep, <laughs> okay? It's don't, very don't late. Don't talk to him like that. You got to work very hard, he's baby. Not- Jeffy, baby. He's not your kid. Stop talking to him like that. It's really weird. Yeah. Anyways. Where do you I, think I, I talk to my kid like that? Uh, I, I think you do. Uh, I I just think that this is an interesting idea. In this, in this first one, we're just kind of getting a weird premise. I'm very interested to see where this goes. Uh, but the art is just absolutely spectacular. It very much reminds me of Sweet Tooth in mm-hmm. a creative, interesting way. So I think if you like Sweet Tooth, it's worth checking this out. I, I will say, without getting into specific spoilers for the ending, most of this book is very gross, like we're talking about, particularly if you like bugs, but <laughs> hate bugs. But the place that it ends up, it feels like it could be heading towards a really messed up, weird version of the Iron Giant. So... Oh, wow. We'll see. We'll see. I what thought happens. you were going to say the fly. I mean, that too. Why don't we move on to talk about Sirens of the City, number one from Boob Studios, written by Joanne Starr, uh, art by Kari Randolph. This is following a girl who is alone and pregnant in the 1990s, I think, uh, late, mm-hmm. mid to late 90s. I feel like it's grunge. So let's just say. And she's wandering around the city doesn't know what's going on. It turns out she may, in fact, be a siren per the title. And, in fact, there's a lot of other mythological monsters that are out there over the course of the book. Um, what do you think, Pete? I love this. I really thought it was very cool and creative. Um, there was one thing that I wasn't ready for at the end that I'll talk about in a minute. But um, I also really liked the use of color in this book. I thought they did a great job of kind of like highlighting moments uh, with the use of color. So shout out to the colorists who did an amazing job on this book. This is very creative and cool. But what's weird is you think we have this unique special character, but as mm-hmm. the story goes on, they become less and less special, which is a weird thing where it's like you kind of think you're rolling with one of the greats, and then you're like, this might be a B-team type of thing. <laughs> like, what the, I, like, what do we, I you know, 100% opposite, agree with you. Like, the, I was into it, and then as it went on, I was like, wait a second, look, that character yeah. looks cooler. Like, what are we doing? I totally uh, agree with you. The This started off with such a strong metaphor of a girl on her own having nothing and using her rage and her voice unknowingly to control and coerce people. And I was like, oh, I am into this. This story is fascinating. Let's see how far we can push the metaphor, how far we can go. And then... And this is getting into spoilers, like you're saying, but then she falls in with this art dude who I was like, Okay, this is interesting. Let's follow this. And he takes her a party. And as soon as she gets to the party, everybody's like, oh, she's, I think she's a siren. And also, this is another siren, and we're vampires. There's werewolves. Yeah, we're vampires. And I was like, what? No, too much. Too much, too quickly. (laughs) Cut it out. And I still, I I smudge you. I I love Kari Randolph's art. Big fan. 
I love the first like two thirds of this book enough that I definitely want to pick up the second issue. But if this Mm -hmm. is just supernatural mashup and that's all it becomes, that's a bummer because the first part is so interesting and I'm willing to follow like, what's it like to be a siren down on your luck in the art scene in the 1990s? That's interesting. And then, um, uh, spoilers, but the last p- panel, you see the Twin Towers in the background, and I wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh, fuck. I was like, oh, it's the set in the 90s. But oh, I just see it, and it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, man. Oh, that's so weird. And yeah, how did you, did you feel the same way when you're seeing Transformers Rise of the Beasts? What do you mean? Oh, they, and they, just the same thing happened in the trailer. There was a shot of the Twin Towers, and I was like, what are we doing here? I don't want to see Transformers <laughs> fighting in front of the Twin Towers. Stop it. Why did you set it here? What's wrong with you? You didn't, yeah, was, Nobody asked much. you to do it's that. A bit, it's a bit much when you're not ready for yeah. it. You're just kind of like, ah. Oh. <laughs> not every movie has to be the end of Remember Me. Who gets that? It's reference? funny. Uh, I, this is a little dark, but my friend used to he he works at the nine eleven memorial, and he wears like a jacket, and it says like nine eleven on it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if he's riding on the train, and someone will look at him, and just be like, "Oh fuck, man! Oh god!" You know, you're just like you're <laughs> reminding somebody of something horrible when they're not ready for it. They're just yeah. like, "Come on, dude! I was having a good day, and you had to fucking walk by with your jacket on." And, you know, it's just like, oh, man. Yeah. It's All right. Well, why don't we move on from this discussion? Talk about Panya, the Mummy's Curse, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Chris Roberson, art by Christopher Mitten. This is set in the world of Hellboy and mostly a Egyptian mystical story. Uh, Pete, you really like this yeah. one, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a second, I thought you were going to say Ponyo, and I got really excited. Um, yeah, it's Him. first off, it's got the kind of art style of Hellboy, which is really cool. That always gets me. Um, and it's this. Does it seem like to you like this is a one and done issue? I don't know. I know I should check these things before oh, we okay. tape. Because sure. the way it ended, I was like, is this the last that we get? Uh, but I really love I don't think they... so. I think there's oh, okay. probably more of it. Okay, cool. Because they have this kind of like interesting thing throughout this cat versus the snake. And it was such a cool little story that kind of then gets uh, strung along throughout the adventures here. And I thought it would just every time it kind of got brought up was very cool and unique this light versus kind of dark battle that happens. And um, yeah, I loved it. What's going on right now in Hellboy is there's a lot of different storytelling and it's really cool to get all these kind of little peeks into these little corners of the Hellboy universe. And there's so many creative stories that we can get. And this is a great example of one. X-Men Days of Future Past Doomsday, number one for Marvel, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Manuel Garcia. The Googs. This is, after years and years, giving us a prequel story to Days of Future Past, showing how we got to the post-apocalyptic future that we joined up with in that classic X-Men story. I didn't know what to expect getting into this, so I was very surprised by the premise, but I, I thought it worked, and I thought it really worked on the level of, like, 
Guggenheim clearly driving down in the fractured political state we're in right now, the rise of misinformation, the rise of fascism in the U.S. government, to be frank, uh, ideas like that and things that we've seen at play, particularly over the past couple of years, and weaving that into a modern context for a story that was decades earlier, I thought was very smart and made it very resonant for what's happening today. I also really appreciated seeing this classic X-Men story and seeing how they fell apart, even though it gets very, very dark, as you might expect at certain points. Yeah, it really does. I I, I want to just first talk about like the nostalgia factor. This feels like kind of 90s X-Men, early, early X-Men stuff. It has that great kind of old school comic feel. So I very much enjoyed kind of going back in this little time machine uh, and but feels very kind of relevant today, like Alex was talking about. This was an emotional roller coaster, though, for sure. I mean, the different stuff where we see Wolverine and Magneto and all this kind of, it's just like, holy shit. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. It's very cool. Um, it's, it's, there's some tough stuff in it, though. So, uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it, but also part of me was like, I don't know, this is too much sometimes, but man, uh, I'll be interested to check out more. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a freaking start for sure. Let's move on to our Night Terrors block. We kick oh, this off. Night Terrors block! We kicked this off last week, and, and this is DC's big event that they're running throughout the summer. Uh, we did the same thing last year with Future State, where we talked about all the books that are happening, and I always think it's interesting to talk about an entire event as a whole, see how it's panning out across the line. Here, the concept is the new villain called Insomnia has plunged Insomnia. The, the entire DC. Sleeping, bro. Welcome to DC Comics. Yeah, it's really Never messed up. Again. Batman. There's a whole issue where Batman is standing by the fridge and he's like, I want to. I want to have a snack. But if I, I dip it, I have a snack. Then I'm not going to fall back asleep. But maybe yeah. if I do. Like I'm not. I'm. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this place. Anyway, uh, no, this villain called Insomnia is looking for something called the Nightmare Stone that is hidden in the dreams of a hero somewhere in the DC Universe. The only one who could stop him, or at least we thought the only one who could stop him, is Dead Man, who is currently in the body of Batman running around. Oh, what, what a fun idea. Yes. Uh, and so what we're getting over the course of this event, at least in the first week, was we we're getting to see everybody's nightmares. Here, in the second week, we get something a little bit different. I'm going to read through all the titles, and then we can kind of talk about them individually as well as a whole. We've got Whoa. Night Terrors, number one, for, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Giuseppe Carancoli, Stefano Nassi, and Casper Wingard. Night Terrors, Zatanna, number one, written by Dennis Culver, art by David Baldion. Night Terrors, The Flash, number one, written by Alex Pactadal, art by Daniel Bailey. Night Terror's Robin, number one, written by Kenny Porter, art by Miguel Mendoza. Uh, Night Terror's Green Lantern, number one, written by Jeremy Adams and Alex Segura, art by Eduardo Pensica and Mario Fox Focilli. Ficillo, excuse me, and Night Terror's Shazam, number one, written by Mark Wade, art by Roger Cruz. Now, Pete, what did you want to say? Yeah, shout out to the Mark Wade again. This guy is all over the place, man. Mm -hmm. He's a pretty big deal. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, first off, the covers for this event to make it worth it for the event alone. Like some, uh, I haven't been this blown away by covers in a long time, mm. where uh, they're just so 
unique and kind of like make you stop to be like, hey, what the fuck is this comic about? You know, uh, just some nightmarish, super creative, amazing covers across the board. Um, yeah, a lot to kind of get into here. But yeah, the kind of Night Terrors number one was, I think, a, a great kind of like a, a start for this thing. Dead man kind of joyriding in Batman's body a little bit. It's got the Batmobile. This, even though it's this kind of dark story, there's there's some hints of lightness to it, which I really appreciated. Um, the Flash one, though, was kind of fucked up. Like, he loses his shit on Gorilla Grodd, and I was like, yo, Flash, what the fuck are you doing, man? Well, um, just to, to talk about them broadly for a second, I just want to say yeah. I know it was like... Negative is probably way too strong for how I felt about last week. I just felt like it was very samey. They felt like yeah. a, a repetitive in terms of the issues. This week was great. And it was great because there were a lot of different takes on what a nightmare could be like here in the books. You also, I think what helped it a lot was Night Terrors number one. Like you were saying, there's some big revelations here in terms of insomnia that I thought were really interesting oh, yeah. and I wasn't expecting in terms of the direction of the character. We also get a great twist at the end of the issue in terms of a returning character. This could be teaming up with Dead Man. Oh, Very fun. God. But then also, just to spoil a little bit of the Night Terrors of Tana, number one, we find this out in Night Terrors. Dead Man isn't the only person who's still awake in this world. So in Night Terror Zatanna, we get Zatanna teaming up with Robot Man from the Doom Patrol, kind of against her will, to Cliff. fight somebody else who has come out during this whole sleeping sickness that's in the DC Universe. So that was a fun riff that's tying into the event as well. And then, like you said, like... Uh, the Flash was a really messed up book, an oh, upsetting book dude. in a very different way from, say, the Green Lantern. The Green Lantern book was to me like the most straightforward, similar to last week, but I appreciated it more because I wasn't reading the same thing five times in a row. It was just Green Lantern being like, oh, my God, I'm trapped in some spiraling insanity of horribleness versus The Flash has this very oh. specific type. Of, yeah, go ahead. Pete. Sorry. Also, a shout out to Jewish, you know, like he's. He's Jewish in that issue. Hal Jordan. He's got a yarmulke on and stuff. Oh, yeah. It is? Yeah. Did I miss that? Yeah, I huh. guess so. All right. There we go. That's my nightmare, I guess. Missing a Jewish, <laughs> canonical Jewish character in the DC universe. Uh, I'll have to check that out and take a look. Um, yes. The Robin one as well I thought was really fun because you yeah. get, of course, Rob, any sort of Robins would be like, nope, we're lucid dreaming now. You can't do this to us. And they'd absolutely know what's going on because that's how they're trained. Also, one of the best covers where it's like you see this like red hood is the jaws and there's just like a little rubber ducky on the top of the water. Mm -hmm. Just an unbelievable image. That was so cool. Yeah, and the Shazam one I really liked as well because we get the focus on Mary Marvel and her insecurities yeah. about being Shazam. I thought that was really good. And just the rhythm of that issue in terms of how they hit her being trapped in a nightmare I thought was very interesting and very different. So overall, if you'd be curious to check out this event, I think week two is definitely the way to go. Uh, but read Night Terrors number one and check it out and see if you're interested because fun stuff so far. Also, like, you know, Shazam dealing with the nightmare that is the limo driver, like sometimes on a prom mm -hmm. or a big event, you have this like special thing. But if you have an awful limo driver, they can just ruin a whole event. You know what I mean? Oh just God. like totally just make it. The is this worst. something that happened to you? I'm getting. No, I'm just that. that's what happened in the comic. And I was just like, you know, I can, I can uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Also, we saw in Logan, he was a pretty crappy limo driver. You know what I mean? Like, what would you do if you rented a limo and you found out Wolverine was your driver? I first off, I'd be super excited. You know what I mean? I'm riding in the front the whole fucking time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Fuck the back. It's me and Logan. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. First time adventures. in a limo, Mister Howlett. <laughs> James Howlett the third. Yeah. What's up, bro? All right. Why don't we move on from Night Terrors and talk about The Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child, number one from Dark Horse Comics by Tyler Crook. This is the second series following an old dude with a sword, the young girl he has teamed up with, and the evil birds that are after them. Uh, that's simplifying it in a big way. I described it this way on the live show a little bit, but it's kind of like the goon meets Hellboy, which... It seems yeah. like it would be repetitive, but they are two very different tones, and I think this gels them together with Tyler Crook's beautiful art throughout. Very oh excited to see this book back again. What do you think about this kickoff issue? Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, the last kind of panel really takes a bloody, crazy turn, uh, but just such an interesting setup. I really loved the world. I really loved everything that was happening. It was so interesting. Um uh, also, the mask kid really was kind of crazy. But man, the art style and the art really set this uh, creative, uh, complex tone that was just such a cool book, especially after going through all the night terror. This was such a kind of uh, uh, interesting, different kind of take as far as color wheel and everything. So really impressed with this book from start to finish. Web of Carnage, number one from Marvel, written by Ram V with Christos Gage, art by Francesco Bana and Zay Carlos. I'm going to say something very negative up front. I am increasingly frustrated with the way that Marvel is numbering their issues because I, I read this being like, okay, we're kicking off yet another Carnage series. But nope, this is actually the last issue of the previous series right. that they've numbered number one. That's annoying. And then kicking off Carnage number one after this. Right. Like so that and I makes get total it. sense. They gotta sell comics. That's their you gotta job. Sell. But it's this like, listen, is a, we have all these drippy comics that we need to sell. Got to throw some number ones. <laughs> big out. drip, mm -hmm. big drips. I'm a back over here. Yeah, Carnage Forcing is drippy. Venom is drippy. Mm -hmm. It's all. It's all. Uh, you you know. want a scream comic? We'll make a scream comic. You guys tired <laughs> of that? What about uh, Red Goblin? He's also a Carnage. Yeah. Well, I I think the. There's a ton of action in this. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, if you're going to get a Venom and Carnage book, it's going to be a lot of action. They do deliver on that. The Venom versus Craven stuff in this issue is awesome. Uh, yeah, then you kind of kind of get Carnage uh, action everywhere. So I was really impressed with the pace of this, and uh, you get a ton in here. A lot happens mm -hmm. in this issue. Really sets up uh, what's happening next in a cool way. So. Um, all the drippiness aside, I think this is great. You know, don't let the drip fool you. You have some real content behind it. <laughs> yes, I did. To your point, I did like a bunch of the stuff that happened in here. This is setting up a lot of extreme Venomverse stuff and end of the Venomverse extreme. and all of these other things that are going on with the drippy part of Marvel. I will say, just to get one, one specific plot point that I was surprised it didn't go in this direction. So most of this book is taken up with Carnage is traveling. Carnage, who now doesn't have Cletus Cassidy anymore, is just a costume, is right. traveling through the multiverse and he finds Morlin, who was left at the end of Spider-Man number six or seven, I forget which issue it was, where he is now cut off 
from the web of life. He's cut off from the inheritors. He doesn't have any power or anything like that. So finds him. And Moreland is like, uh, if only I had some power that tapped into the web of life. And Carnage is like, you have some interesting inheritor power. I want that. And you can see where this is going if you haven't read the book. At the end of the book, they're like, well, goodbye, see you never. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? No, no, oh, we got to go on to another story. We can't. Hold, hold on. No, it's hold on one, one coming next. Yeah. How did this book not end up with Moreland in the Carnage symbiote? Like, I am, my mind is boggled. <laughs> Like, and that is like, these are two characters that I don't love, but if you're going to do something that's a big threat, sure, throw Moreland, a vampire who eats Spider-Man in the Carnage outfit, who hates Venom and Spider-Man, seems like a literal no-brainer. But I guess that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. (laughs) Nope. Why would you think that's what we were doing? I mean, that was the entire issue was leading up to that, and it never happened, but there we go. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on to talk about Catfight number two from IDW, written by Andrew Wheeler, art by Elias Krizaeus. Uh, this is about a thief who has been implicated in his aunt's murder, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of cat thieves who are on his tail. This is basically like, um, what was the movie? Not is Was it Money Train? Nice. What, was, what was it called? The one with... Um, the one with Brad Pitt, where he's on the train, bullet train, and he's oh, just train. like various people are oh, just trying yeah, to kill him the great, entire time. Yeah, yeah, you got me. I thought you were going to say Knives Out, and then I no, wasn't sure no, no. what you were. That's what this issue yeah, was I like. You were say money talks. Like, I was like, "What are you talking no, about?" Bullet train, bullet train. Uh, very fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying this book. I agree with you. It's a great. That's a great comparison because there's all these kind of like assassin type thief people. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns. You think you understand what's going, but then it keeps getting heightened and heightened and heightened and heightened. And this poor person like just keeps barely making it past one person to then have to fight another person. So it's very intense. Uh, almost dies like every couple of panels. Uh, but. Uh, I love the art style. I think it's a cool kind of juxtaposition of like a little cartoony for all the insane action that kind of gives it a nice kind of like tone to it uh, that I really appreciate. I, I'm I'm having a blast with this and I think it's going to I'm excited to see what kind of happens and, and find out more about uh, what's going on. What if Dark Loki, number one from Marvel, written by, that's almost a sentence, written by Walter yeah. Simonson, art by Scott Eaton. So if you were confused about what the concept of what if Dark could be, considering what if gets very dark, the idea here is what if Loki straight up murdered Thor, got his hammer, and then proceeded to murder literally everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, what if Loki <laughs> didn't try to ever be a good person and was just dark Loki? Right. Like, what if Loki just didn't give a fuck? Um, I, yeah, I... I all, all due respect to this team. These are... Walter Simonson, one of the best writer artists. Legend. Of all time. Scott Eaton, great, doing a great job of, like, channeling Walter Simonson a little bit through the art. Um what what is this? <laughs> like I I I just because what if is this 
supposed to be this idea of like, we do a little twist to the Marvel universe and then we follow this thread as it goes. This is like, what if Loki just fucking ripped shit to pieces? The entire, it ends with like the heat death of the universe, which is just very over the top. Am I wrong? I mean, what did you think of this one, Pete? Yeah, I mean, the problem is I don't like what-ifs to begin with. Okay. So then this is like, what if Loki was an asshole more than he normally is? I was like, I I guess Marvel's just like, who's got ideas and how can we do them? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love the action. There's tons of action in this. The art does a great job of bringing you into these insane ideas and seeing these glimpses of kind of horrible ideas, but like, cool. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, this is kind of fun to see if Loki didn't give a fuck about anybody. So, okay. Yeah, I guess I, I'm just, this feels like this isn't even necessarily like DC dark multiverse level, which was still, what if we changed one thing and that turned everything horrible? This is just, Loki goes on a killing rampage for 20 <laughs> pages or so, which is not necessarily to me a what if concept. That's not, I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it'll become clearer when we read the next what if dark, which is coming out next week and see what the concept is there. But I'm having trouble understanding this because to the point that we already said, and we've talked about a lot on the show, what ifs are already dark because they'll start with things like, what if Spider-Man's costume was green? And then by the end, Aunt May is dead, <laughs> you know, like that, that is the arc of a, what if is you change one thing and then it spirals out into really dark things happening. This doesn't feel like a spiral. This starts at 11 and it ends at 11, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Spirit world. Number three from DC comics written by Alyssa Wong art by Henning. This is following this new character who's teamed up with Constantine and is trying to get Cassandra Kane Batgirl out of the spirit world. We get a big battle scene in this issue as it all comes together. We find out what Batgirl's connection to the spirit world is. Pete, as a Miyazaki fan, uh, I feel like you got to be loving this series, right? Because this oh my is like God. right over the plate for that. Yes, this is amazing. Also, this is such a fun difference between the night terrors. This is so bright. Uh, so the colors jump off the page. This is such a cool story that is so different from what's happening in DC. I love this book. I'm having such a great time. Uh, it's, it just makes me so happy. This team up here where we get Constantine and fighting with magic and fun, uh, you know, Batgirl is in the mix, and then like Batgirl is like, "Yo, I'll let this cat vampire person suck my blood, but consent is important." You know what I mean? So, like, you know, we got to talk this out a little bit, and I love all that. That's all great stuff and very cool and creative. And yeah, I just think overall, this is a hell of a package. Plus, uh, you get an old lady with a dragon cane also in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I'm loving all of this. This is just uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It is very fun. And I know I called out Miyazaki, but it's also just like a mashup of different influences in here. You can feel yeah. like a little bit of Sailor Moon and things like yeah, that definitely. sometimes. And Without it, the kind of weirdish. Like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're getting at. Um, anyway, it's very fun. Definitely pick it up. Next up, Bum Justin isn't here because I threw this in specifically for him. But The Rocketeer in the Den of Thieves, number one from yeah, IDW. This does by, feel weird that it's in here. 
Mm-hmm. Written by Let's Stephen Moody, art by David Messina. This is following the adventures of the Rocketeer in Hollywood, as, of course, he tussles with a bunch of Nazis who also have rocket packs, or at least that's the path that he's headed on. Pete, you know Justin in this case, big Rocketeer fan, but what did you think about this one? Yeah, this felt like, well, you know, um, too bad JT Sizz isn't here, but if we could channel JT Sizz. No, I'm not going to try to do that. I just think for me, like, it was hard to see Nazis rocking the Rocketeer stuff, you know? It's like mm-hmm. when they made Captain America a Nazi, and I was like, fuck all of this. Stop ruining my childhood, you assholes. Um, so it was a little rough to kind of witness that. I wish I could kind of mind erase that kind of moment. Um, but man, the art is great. And if you like the Rocketeer, I think you'll like this. Um, but I, yeah, I'm really having a hard time shaking that whole fucking, uh, you, you always have a problem with Nazis, yeah. which is fair. But the relationship stuff it. was, was sweet. The, the date yes. moment was nice. Very fun. So. Uh, the art from David Messina, it's a little bit reminiscent of the Dodsons, I would say, in particular, yeah. so if you like that style. And yeah, it's it's old school. It's sweet. It's a little bit corny, but that's what it's supposed to be for the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. So they channel that very, very nicely. Scarlet Witch, number six from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by Lorenzo Tometa and Sarah Pacelli. In this issue, somebody who has been very, very wronged by the Kree and the Skrulls, potentially, Ends up at Scarlet Witch's Red Door, which leads her directly to her son, uh, Wiccan, who is married to Hulkling and in the unified Kree Scroll Empire. So, as we do with every issue of this title, we are flashing to an aspect of the Scarlet Witch's per, uh, relationships and her history. What do you think about this one? Steve Orlando is killing this book. It is so creative and so much fun. This is a great idea and really well executed. I love the whole team on this, the art and the writing. They're having a blast. They're having a great time. We kind of get this amazing mom-dad moment in this book, not to spoil anything, but oopsies. Uh, But man, just... I love this book. I think uh, this is just such a cool, cool, creative idea and so well executed in the Marvel Universe. Uh, It's one of my favorites. And uh, kudos to the team behind this. So good. Every issue is... uh, I love the Dun & One issues. I was a little bubbed when they went into a multi-issue arc, so I'm so happy to see them back with that. My only hesitance, there's nothing against Lorenzo Tometa's art, which is very good, but I wish they would wait for Sarah Pacelli. Like, I'd be happy to take a little time, let the book come out a month or two later, if it could be all done by Steve Orlando and Sarah Pacelli, because it feels like the such unique pairing of artist and writer here. Um, I know that's not how comics work, but I wish they did. Yeah, unfortunately, you know. Yeah, can't always get what you want. Star Signs number three from Image Comics, written by Saladin on Med, art by Megan Levins. This is about a world where the... Zodiac. Flagged up the there world. you go. Thank you. Uh, the Zodiac has disappeared from the sky, and instead people are showing up with Zodiac powers. There Zodiac are good Zodiacs powers. and bad Zodiacs here. They're fighting in the woods. What'd you think, Pete? Yeah, I mean, uh, shout out to the artist. This is kind of, I love this. It almost has a She-Ra uh, quality uh, to the, I was going to say animation, but nope, mm-hmm. nope, uh, uh, just to the panels. If you shake the, the pages fast enough, they get Yeah, it. if you it's flip like them the, fast enough, it's mm-hmm. like animation. It's like, it's like the world's worst. Uh, yeah, the art is really great. Uh, I love it. Um, 
Yeah, I, it's a very interesting idea. It's fun to kind of see the, you know, what each person is going to be. Um, but man, uh, that's a that's a rough birthday party that kid has <laughs> where you're just about to blow up the candles and your whole family dies in front of you. That's a tough, that's a tough birthday. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying this book. This is a good way of coming at a superhero team in a new way. It feels very X-Men-ish, at least at the beginning here. Yeah, um, agreed. So, yeah, we'll see how it pans out. But I'm having What fun sign so are far. you? Uh, Scorpio. How about you? Yeah, what a Scorpio thing to say. Oh, my God. Woof. What are you? I don't know what that means. I'm a Leo. Like, oh, you didn't know that. Man. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I'm a lion. Yeah. I'm a lion and a dragon, dude. The Hunger and the Dust, number one from IDW, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Chris Wildgoose. This is about a world where orcs and humans are forced to work together because of an incoming threat that certainly seems to be vampires, though it's not said explicitly what's going on here. I really dug this. This felt to me maybe not quite as dark, but along the lines of a Rick Remender book, just in terms of... It reminded oh, me a little bit of Seven to Eternity, but not quite as nihilistic, you know, mm. just because mm. you got this dark thing that's looming on the side. There's some good fairy tale qualities. There's the, this is Rick Bender, but there's a little bit of a, like a Romeo and Juliet thing going on here. Um, what'd you think, Pete? Yeah, this uh, reminded me a little bit of like Ascender, Descender, where there's this big story mm-hmm. happening and we also have this kind of love thing happening as well. Uh, I really, really like this. Uh, when Zalba was talking about it, he kind of like seemed like he was questioning his review, like maybe he didn't stand behind it. But I thought this was a very interesting, cool story. Um, I love the art, this kind of like thing of like, People coming together for a bigger battle. I'm a sucker for that kind of shit. Orcs and humans got to work together to fight these maybe evil vampires, as uh, Zalbatron was hinting at, but we will see. Uh, But yeah, just um, cool to have kind of like bigger theme things going on in this. uh, And I really love the art style. So yeah, I was thought for number one, this did an amazing job of setting up this world, getting you excited for more. Antarctica, number one from Image Comics, written by Simon Burks, art by Willie Roberts. This is about a woman who is trying to track down her dad, and of course she tracks him down to Antarctica, or at least she thinks so. There's a big twist at the end that really changes it in a classic Image Comics top cow last page reveal that reveals the spoiler sci-fi premise of the book. Um, I will say... There are aspects of this that I liked, and I think the part that I liked the best was before they got to the sci-fi premise yeah, in Antarctica. Classic, classic. Yeah, the, the kind of whole premise of this woman kind of like starting out her life and not having anybody around to help guide her, and then the people who are supposed to be doing that are disappearing at a high rate. Yeah, it's this, again, this interesting premise of, like, this woman on her own, and then this guy Jim comes in, and, like, you're like, oh, man, this is cool setup. And then Jim dies, and she has to start, and you're like, oh, fuck, man, I was really liking this world that we set up, and now i got to fucking move on from all this. But I do think, though, that the bigger story is very interesting. Uh, it's hard mm-hmm. though because like when she got to Antarctica and I uh, just wanted to kind of go back the way you paused after you said ant and then Antarctica it's not about ants at all it's Antarctica uh, the place um, what is and, this Antarctica for ants right 
<laughs> you were like, this book, Antarctica. Um, yeah, so I just think that, like, <laughs> I <laughs> I think it's a very cool story, and I hope that we... Because it's like the, cool. the first cool. dude that you see... When we get to Antarctica, you're like, oh, that I want that to be the dad. And then there's this other guy, and you're like, ooh, but I want that to be the dad. And then mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, it's not going to be that easy. But um, Well, let me ask you a question, because this the way that we're talking about this seems very similar to the Sirens book that we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. What do you think the deal here is? Is it that these books need to, whatever they want to be, they need to introduce it at the beginning? Are they trying to hide the premise too much. I think they're think fast the forwarding too much to what they think they need to sell the book. Mm. You know, they think they need to get to the big reveal at the end of the big action moments. But I think what they're doing is they're fast forwarding past these amazing story, like the real heart of the story, the real reason these people are this way. Like her father never came home. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that, destroyed her and then she found this father type figure and he died and that destroyed her again you know so it's this like uh yeah but they're like well fuck all that fuck all that we got to get to this and it just kind of i think the fast forwarding part kind of uh uh can be a little bit like uh yeah i think that's yeah i think i think it's both things right like i think it's it's pacing issues is what we're saying because i understand the impulse there it's very hard to go into a comic book shop and be like, check out this new book, Antarctica. It's about a sad girl whose father figures keep dying and she never gets to Antarctica in the first issue <laughs> versus what it, what it is. But yeah, you can't call it Antarctica. Yeah, you can't, not, right. You yeah. can't do that. But if uh, just to spoil it, the concept here is she encounters some sort of like alternate universe version of herself or something like that at the end. And that ties into the mystery of what's going on with her father. But if that's the thing in media res is one of my least favorite things. That's where like you start in the middle of the story and then you flash back to a period. And the reason it's one of my least favorite things is because everybody uses it wrong. They use it to be like, here's the thing and then link up in a way that's very obvious. Instead, you need to crash us into the middle of the story to give us that pump of action at the beginning. But we have to be like, what, what's happening? What's going on? And then have no clue until we get to that moment again. And that, that reveals everything, but maybe that's the way of doing these things. If you want to do it, like start the sirens book with, she's being chased by a bunch of werewolves down the street and be like, record scratch freeze frame how did i get here and then you get like the emotional layering in and then you can actually spend a little time rather than jamming it into a million monsters or with this antarctic book start with her being like okay this is weird that's me over there what's going on hold on you got to know some stuff about me first you know and then yeah i mean i don't i don't know about I, yeah, I don't know about all that, but I do think that as though, long as there's a record scratch and a freeze frame, I'm good with it. <laughs> you love that. You love that trope. You want to see Whoa, it more. Hold up there. This what? is crazy. What? This is crazy. This is insane. I think I think what your problem is the titling. Instead of Antarctica, it should be like men are shitty. They'll never come back to you. You know what I mean? Like that would be a little I bit I think more. The, my problem here is that Antarctica is a difficult <laughs> word for everybody to pronounce. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> here's a here's a word that's easy for us. Loki number two from Marvel, written there by Dan go. Waters, art by Jermaine Peralta. This is uh, following. <laughs> this premise is going to sound crazy when I say it out loud, but Loki had a ship 
that was made out of uh, figure and toenail cuttings. And three pieces have fallen off, and they're evil, and he's trying to get them back. Sounds crazy, right? Except this book rules. Uh, it's yeah, so it good. It feels like we talked about with the first issue. It feels more like a lost Norse myth than it does even a Marvel comic, but they gel the two tones together really well. And in this one, we're getting like classic, really dark Norse myth stuff going on with a bunch of dwarves that use a piece of the ship and it goes so poorly for them. Uh, we get a gender bent Loki once again, which we haven't seen in a while, almost with no explanation other than yeah, the fact right. that it is uh, what it is, which I love that detail as well. This book is so good. This is yet another classic Loki run in the making. Yeah, I love this book. Uh, artistically, it's really impressive. The the art style, uh, the action, all the kind of madness that is packed in here in such a cool, unique way. Very enjoyable. Cannot wait to read more of this book. Yeah, particularly if you liked Kieran Gillen's run on Loki, this is definitely one to check out. I think you're going to really dig this as well. Earth Divers, number eight from IDW, written by Stephen Graham Jones, art by Ricardo Bruccielli. This is taking things in a different direction with the second arc of the book. with somebody who has traveled back in time to the Ice Age. And in this issue, she is on the run through the Ice Age, trying to use her knowledge both of history as well of science to navigate the deadliest um, period in planet Earth. What'd you think about this? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's fucking heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's hard to, you know, see all these Native Americans die horribly, uh, losing their heads like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's rough, but it's also really, uh, amazing and, and, um, artistically, uh, I love the art style and stuff like that. So really cool. Yeah, I like this book as well. I'm not 100% sure yet how this arc ties into the last arc or the overall idea of the book. I'd love to get some clarity on that soon. But otherwise, it's still it's a good read. And in terms yes. of Lady is Trapped to the Past of the Ice Age, that's working for me. Yeah. Immortal X-Men number 13 from Marvel, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Wernick. On the live show, I mentioned that there was one book that I threw in the stack specifically because I wanted to read it and didn't want to forget to not read it. Uh, Pete, you may be surprised to learn this is that book. Oh, wait, you mean the book <laughs> about your favorite fucking character that was just shoehorned into this? <laughs> Because I fucking hate this run? What, Alex? Do tell. <laughs> I love this. I love this so oh, much. Oh, man. You know what's uh, my favorite part about this book? What? Everybody's standing around and talking? Yes! Like really trying oh, to figure God. out the politics? What a great idea for a comic book. Let's just think about this. You know, real life, we don't get to see council meetings where people <laughs> stand around and argue about trivial, stupid shit. And But what if we turned into a comic book and then had people standing around and it's so bad, the tree can't even fucking take it. The tree who sees... All life happening around it and just got to sit there. Cannot sit through this comic without losing its fucking mind. I feel very well, here's seen. Here's what I'm going to throw out at you. That's the thing that I think is interesting that I'm curious to get your take on if you can, like, distance yourself from your anger a bit. I thought this issue was awesome. Obviously, I was like, well, I got to I gotta read. Cypher is on the cover here. I can't not read <laughs> 
this issue. Come on. Uh, and this is all in the Quiet Council is dealing with the fallout of Sins of Sinister, dealing with the fallout of a lot of stuff that's going on in the Marvel Universe. Like you said, it's just the Quiet Council. We don't go outside the Quiet Council area. The entire issue is them fighting and conniving and trying to figure out ways of getting around each other. But the thing that's happening in the background here that I really thought you would appreciate, and I love like the amount of tension and emotion this is bringing is they're starting to realize that this is fucking wrong. Like that is what this issue is all about is like, you're saying Krakoa is like, no, you've gone in the wrong direction. Cypher admits to the things that he did with Moira McTaggart, with destiny, with mystique, with everybody to professor X. And he's like, I did the wrong thing, but I did it because this is so fucked, the thing that you've done with Krakoa right now, in the interest of making a utopia, in the interest of saving the mutant race, that I couldn't do anything else. And at the end of the issue, spoiler here, but Krakoa sucks Cypher into the pit and deeper below the pit because he's like, I got to keep him safe because bad things are about to really go down. In one point of this issue, and again, Pete, you had to love this, Professor X takes off his lollipop head and cries, and he's like, what have I done? What have I done to the X-Men, to mutants? Oh, my God, I have gone so far wrong from what I'm supposed to be. I love that because that has always been the tension of this run. At no point of this run have you been supposed to look at what's going on in Krakow and be like, I think this is great. This is great. This is great. There's no problems here. This is legit a utopia. And it's all the cracks are like earthquake faults at this point. That's what we're getting into this fall of X event. And if they deliver on that, I think that's awesome. I I was very hesitant about this getting into this event. But now everything that I've seen, all these little pieces they're throwing in there. So exciting to like blow up this Krakoa era in a big way and point out all the things that have gone horribly wrong. That to me, there is nothing more classic X-Men than Go the fuck oh, no, let me finish Get off your fucking soapbox no, no, no. with this bullshit. No, no, no. Let me finish what I'm saying because this is what drew me to the X-Men initially, the idea that these heroes were such massive screw-ups that the absolute worst things that could happen to them were always the things that they had caused themselves and always the things that from different directions, if they hadn't all done pieces wrong, wouldn't have led to this absolute apocalypse that's coming their way. Okay, I'm glad that you're getting this moment where you are realizing your team is a shitty team, but I'm not having I fun with this. Part. That. All right. Well, great. I'm glad you're getting confirmation that uh, the X-Men angst, suck. As angst a group. is built into the best of the X-Men. What okay, book gr- have you been reading? This book is just basically saying, Pete was right. This is a shitty idea, and now we have to shut it all down. That's the because thing, though. This is, it was not – no, no, no. It, it was not a shitty idea because that was baked into it. Like, that's the thing that I'm trying to get through to you from so the very beginning. Dumb. The, it's the Mm-mm. fucking giving tree if the tree's going, fuck all you motherfuckers, I'm out. You know, if the giving tree could get up and walk away – uh, it it's basically just saying like the quiet council is a shitty idea. We weren't good enough to pull that off. This whole uh, fuck island it's not is a shitty giving idea. Up. It's not We're saying not- no. It's the characters. It's not the writers being like, "Oops, we made a mistake." It's the writers well, years you- ago. Jonathan Hickman when he sets it up, not being like, "Yes, 
this is what the X-Men need to be. It's about we're going to put them in a place where we push them exponentially forward in this direction and then Great see how X they as characters about deal the with it. There. What? Great use of X talking about the X-Men. Thank you. Exponentially. I, I don't know I how many more times we can discuss this, but yeah, um, several. Yeah. Several, Several apparently, yeah, doesn't get old, but I, yeah, I was just like, yeah, this is bad, guys, and I've had to deal with this for a long time. I'm glad the tree gets it, but as soon as we can end this quiet council and rip off Lollipop's head and get back to the fucking X-Men, then But we're not great. going to get back to them. Great, kill them it's off It's going then. to be completely wrecked and destroyed. By the way, you realize you sound like... William Stryker right now, right? Like, you sound like an X-Men villain. Like, kill all the X-Men. They're wrong. This don't, utopia they have is don't, wrong. Don't put Get stuff in them. my mouth. I didn't create Fuck Island. I didn't have to sit all there right. and do Explain all this. Explain those giant mutant-killing robots behind you then, Pete. What are they for? I don't know what you're talking about, man. These are just my friends. <laughs> These are my buds. These are just my buddies. I created them so we can hang out. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm not having a good time. Uh, Krokoa's not having a good time. And, uh, you know, luckily Cypher, uh, you know, Cypher, lucky he's that safe. he's cool. Yeah, he's lucky. He's, he's very he's cool. lucky. You said it. Oh, uh, that's all no, I wanted. I said it. Pete, Pete. <laughs> Cypher's cool. Dash <laughs> Pete the Page. Wait, wait, wait. No, wait. And Dark wait. Ride. No, 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 we got to move on. Dark Ride no, number no, seven no, from no, Image Comics. No, no, because there's something I wrote in my notes that I just oh, wanted yeah. to write. Uh, 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 yeah, I just wrote down Alex liked was it, it because. Cypher's cool again? Did you write no, that? No, Alex liked it because Translato was there and he helped. <laughs> yes, that was the whole reason that I put it in. I was like, Cypher's on the cover. Oh my god. Oh, oh like like you haven't picked up something just because a character you liked was on the cover. Come oh, on. Sure. Come on. Let he who was out without sin cast I'm the not, first. I'm not in an ivory tower of perfection throwing stones. There you go. Uh, the only one in that ivory tower of perfection is Cypher. Dark Ride, number seven from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Andre Bresson. This is picking off of the big cliffhanger of the last issue where we finally got to meet the evil Walt Disney-esque oh. character who has been oh running the horror theme park. So the promise was we were going to get some big answers this issue. Guess what? We don't, nope. but some shit goes down. Anyway, uh, the tension and, uh, in this book is palpable. Reading oh every God. issue. I will say as a reader, I think I need to start getting some answers pretty quickly. Um, but uh, I'm, I am very much on this dark ride, no matter what. It's too scary. It's too scary. Uh, that black and white flashback with the blood red. Oh, no, thank you. That was my first note moment. Like, it's, this is a great story, but it's just too scary for me. When he calls the daughter and then you think maybe the daughter's going to be safe, but then you see what's in the room with the daughter. No, too scary. Mm -hmm. Stop. I want to get off this dark ride. You can't. You got to take it all the way around, Pete. All the <laughs> way around. 
Uh, great book. Definitely check it out. Star Trek number 10 from IDW, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Mike Fian. This is, I believe, the final issue of this series before the Day of Blood crossover kicks off. And we are wrapping up a big arc that is going all the way back to the Dominion War and tying into a lot of stuff that we have been dealing with this with this book so far. This is one of my favorite issues of this book in a while. It's big. It's action-y. So there's some nice twists for fans of Star Trek in here, as well as setting up the crossover to come. What would you think, Pete? It's just another great Star Trek issue. I mean, we've been talking a lot about amazing Star Trek books, and I've just been really impressed with the quality that we've been reading here. It just continues to be really cool and very enjoyable. Group. I don't know no. what else to say about these. Yeah, I mean, no, 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 I know. I, I am excited great. for the Day of Blood crossover. I'm curious to see how that happens, how it potentially changes things going forward. Should be very interesting. Groot number three from Marvel, written by Dan Abnett, art by Damian Cusero. There, this takes place in the past. We've got Groot and two little other Groots who have been captured. Uh, Captain Marvel has been also taken down by these chainsaw monsters who are populating this planet, as well as an evil Groot who is holding them all hostage. And, excuse me, Groot is teaming up with Yondar, a Lady Yondu, to try to save them. Um, this is a very enjoyable book. I really I like this. I fucking love this book. I, 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 I love this book. It is just so much fun. The thing about when I was reading it, though, I was like, Fucking Captain Marvel's still around, but we got to kill off Miss Marvel. That's fucking bullshit. Uh, but uh, other than that, I'm having this such takes a place great back time. of the day. This is back I know, in I know, time. I know. I just i I'm having such a great time with this artistically. This is just such a cool, creative book. Love all the kind of uh, uh, plant life creatures that are just animated and fun. You would think. Having a bunch of uh, creatures that just repeat the same words would be annoying, but I'm not annoyed by it. I'm having a great time. I think it's very cool and well done. This is just a blast. Totally agree. Something Epic, number three from Image Comics by Sismund Kodransky. This is following a kid who is maybe is hallucinating things, uh, maybe not, but probably is, and it's become increasingly clear to me over the course of these issues that this is probably about the development of an artist and a comic book artist in particular because he has all these ideas in his head that are trying to get out, uh, both the dark and the light superheroes and cartoons and other characters, and he's trying to settle on it. You've got... Uh, this is This is phenomenal, just like particularly this issue, I think, really brings the emotional gravity of what's oh going on here into clarity. Uh, and I really appreciated that. What'd you think? Yeah. The spoilers, the, the, the mom dying in this issue was so powerful, so well done. So amazing. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where the title, I'm like, all right, something epic. Let's see something epic. You know, I kind of have my arms crossed, but every issue it wins me over. It's really impressive. Also, like you have this, like you think the character is winning. They're like, man, I, I found some peace. And then this person's like, Hey, uh, I think you dropped your darkness. Let me give this back to you. It's like, ah! uh, but yeah, I'm having a great time with this. It's really impressive what this continues to pull off the, the shading and the coloring though, are creepy AF man, this is some crazy shit. And it's, uh, it's gorgeous mixed media art because you're getting yep. a lot of different types of characters. The story is very good. And, 
you know, whether it turns out to be something fantasy or something more realistic, as I ex- expect it is, um, kind of doesn't matter. It's about the artistic process either way. And if you're a comic book fan, you have to check this one out. And I assume most of you listening to this probably are. Hellboy in Love, number five from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden. Art by Matt Smith is the final issue of this series, I believe, as Hellboy and his new beau have finally hooked up. And she tracks down the artifact she's been looking for the entire time. Do they stay together? Do they break up? That, to me, was the big tension of the series. And I was very surprised about the direction that things went in. What do you think, Pete? Well, uh, first off, I love the story. I love the kind of battle that goes down here. It's a classic kind of Hellboy where you think maybe they're going to be all right. And then this kind of like all-powerful witch comes down from above to fuck their entire world up. Um, But let's talk about the love story a little bit, okay? Yeah. This happened really fast, okay? I needed it to slow down uh, for me to buy into this love story. I mean, five issues, they're, you know, uh, all of a sudden they're in love. They're saying they're in love with each other out loud. I was like, I would puff your brakes a little bit here, guys. Like, I would really love this if they took more time with it. Like, the, the idea of a girl who grew up loving like horror movies with her dad. They would go and watch these horror movies and fall in love with these characters and the kind of history of these characters that pushed her into this love of archaeology and digging up things up and stuff like that is a perfect person for Hellboy to fall in love with. And it's a great story. But because it's so rushed and it's like, yeah, I love monsters, so I love Hellboy and we're in love. I was just like, I I would have loved this if it didn't happen so quickly. I think it's a good idea, but I just would have liked to sit in it a little bit. You know what I mean? I understand what you're saying, and I get it. But the way you described it, let me compare it this way to you. Let's say you, Pete LePage, met a cheesesteak girl, right? If you met her... My heart just sank. The the whole setup of this, I was like, you think she's out there? Well, that's what I'm you saying. Somebody's is if out you there met like her, you tell oh her you God. loved her so quickly. So you'd be quickly, like, you're right. So you're quickly. Right. You're like, my entire life, I've waited for this to meet this cheesesteak girl. Yeah. yeah. And to be but clear to anybody listening, like, I'm saying a girl who is literally girl, like a garbage plate. You know, sure. you know, that would also work for me. You yeah. Know? As long as, as, long as she's some sort of or, yeah. cheesy chopped meat person, <laughs> you'd be like, uh <laughs> Her up, someone baby. who has a passion for food like I do is really what I'm oh, looking for. Oh, you're talking about uh, right. I was talking about literally somebody who's made out of food. Oh, like Hellboy, not Pizza the Hut, not Pizza the Hut situation. Come <laughs> but on, but a girl, dude. but a girl. I, I mean, or whatever you want. I don't want to judge. No, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, okay. You, when you say it like that, yes. But, yeah. <laughs> yes, actually. Anyway, this is great. I, I love a Valentine in the Hellboy universe. I love seeing this era of Hellboy. Very fun. I do, too. The Amazing Spider-Man number 29 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGuinness. In this issue, Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson are on the run with Doc Ock's tentacles. Doc Ock, meanwhile, is torturing Norman Osborn and trying to find out what his long-range evil plan is. Of course, we know Norman Osborn's long-range evil plan is nothing because he's really trying to be a good guy. The evil has been taken out of him by the Sin Eater. There's a bunch of twists 
by the end of this issue. Pete, I know we've been, you and I in particular, have been very negative on this podcast about Amazing Spider-Man. What did you think about this one? Well, I think this is a cool, I like the kind of the teams that we got here. I think Spider-Man hanging out with J. Jonah Jameson kind of dealing with these Doc Ock arms are fun, right? That's kind of a fun, odd couple that they're together like that. Um, And then kind of having Doc Ock like yell at Norman Osborn and be like, admit that you're wrong is also fun. Um, But it's hard to enjoy it because I'm kind of like... Do you think Mary Jane is happy with this new family or (laughs) is it like, does she feel weird now that she Mm -hmm. saw Spider-Man again? Like it's hard to focus on all the cool stuff that's happening because I'm still, um, you know, uh, reeling uh, from what's happened. So it's hard, uh, but this is enjoyable. And if I can shut off that part of my brain and just enjoy it, this is great art, great Spider-Man story stuff going on here. And uh, it's kind of fun that uh, J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man kind of have a nice little fun moment together. They kind of, you know. I agree. This felt like a much more focused issue of this book. As you're saying, you basically have like an A plot and a B plot that are eventually going to tie together. Um, I like the place that we end up with the Doc Ox tentacles and Spider-Man spoiler here. But he's like, yeah. spiders also have eight arms. And we're like, yeah. we, all, we all know that, <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, 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 I don't know if you guys are aware of this. He's like yeah. tapping the panel. Like, hey, yeah. hey, you out there. Which, which is fine. Like, that's a arms? fine place for Spider-Man to be in. On the yeah. Doc Ock and Norman Osborn thing, I do think there is something interesting in terms of Norman Osborn being like, please, no. I'm not, I don't have an evil plan right now. Well, Doc Ock is in this place where he says memories taken for him back from the superior Spider-Man days. So he doesn't know that he was a hero in the same way that Norman is trying to forget that he's a villain. So that's an interesting pairing. It's It's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting dramatically. That said, same way you are with Mary Jane, like I talked about with the last issue, my thing is like, I don't need to see Norman Osborn as a good guy. I don't need <laughs> Norman Osborn, Doc Ock, and uh, J. Joe and Jameson all wrestling with like, oh, we really like this Spider-Man guy. What do we do here? <laughs> like, that that's something that I would be happy to get back to basics. And there's a hint that maybe we're heading in that direction at the end of this issue. And that is okay with me. I think there are Spider-Man villains that I'm all right with seeing a bit of the humanity in love when the Rhino in particular, who's this Frankenstein figure anyway, is really wrestling with being a good guy. Same thing with the Sandman. I think there's been some really interesting stuff there, but in particular, Doc Ock and Norman Osborn are two characters that in my mind should always be villains. Like they should not be good guys. You could have, you could play around with that a little bit, but that's nothing that you could sit in for a good long period of time. It's not a long-term strategy. They're bad guys. They're villains. That's where they need to live. Um, so I don't know. We'll see if we're getting back there. In Hell We Fight, number two from Image Comics, yeah. written by John Lehman, art by Jock. This is about a bunch of folks who have died and are in hell. And uh, at the end of the last issue, they thought they were getting some ice cream in hell, but it turns out they actually got an angel. And this issue, we find out exactly what that means. They go on a mission. They're gonna. Their mission is they're gonna try to get to heaven, get the angel back to heaven, and get some real ice cream. Uh, and meanwhile, they have a bunch of demons on their tail. This book is endlessly creative and endlessly fun. Oh man, what a great way to put that! Yes, I totally agree. 
Uh, some really cool things like using the halo as like a weapon was such a cool thing in hell. I, I, I love the just in how we fight is such a great title that and is this continues to be just a really interesting comic that explores different things. Uh, I like the little demon character. I like the mm-hmm. angel character. I'm having a blast with this. I'm also excited to see what ice cream is going to be like in heaven. Like she mm-hmm. teases like amazing flavors, and my mind is like, oh my god, you think there's like a what's cheese? your what's your ultimate heaven ice cream flavor, Pete? Oh, I mean, that's hard. I mean, it's it's insane to even think about. Like, could a garbage plate be a flavor of ice cream? Would that be good? I don't know. This you is know heaven. I mean? talking about yeah i mean choco taco is one of my favorite kind of like ice cream things like you know sure that's a ice cream that exists on earth yeah yeah although not anymore they took it away right they did but it's probably still in heaven (laughs) probably is. yeah you think i can get the mcrib up there like what's up heaven oh my god like come on let me get a grimace shake Uh, let me get a grimace shake come on coke two they got coke two up there they got orbits (laughs) Do they Orbit's have the my real favorite Coke? drink from 1993? Coke is in the Coke, you know what I mean? Like the old oh, Coke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's super high on Coke and <laughs> snorting it straight off of Come Angel on, Lakes. Heaven. What's up? Yeah, Angels are like, put that, put the cocaine on my Halo. We'll do, we'll do a roundy. Oh, wow. Call it a roundy. That's dark, bro. <laughs> you know, they do call it snow. You know, Heaven's real white. You know, mm-hmm. like what would be, you well, think Coke difference. is just, you could just sniff a oh, cloud up there? Like, what's up? Oh, probably. Wow. We should uh your your eye twitched with the thought of that. You're just like, oh <laughs> hey. this is hundred percent pure. Oh, gotta get there faster. <laughs> gotta get there faster, man. All right, that got dark. The Great British Bud Poff number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by John Allison, art by Max Sarah. This is the final issue of this book. It was about a murder mystery that takes place in a great British bake-off style show. I found this book very delightful. I liked how the mystery tied up. I thought they did a yeah. good job of actually making it make sense as you read the book. It isn't something that comes out of nowhere. You definitely could have picked up on the clues. Um, the character designs are very fun from Max Sarad. I really like this team. They've been doing a lot of really fun, short mysteries like this, and I hope there's more coming because I had a good time. I agree. It's got kind of like a fun Disney kind of feel to it. I I just uh, the art style and yeah, this is just a well done. Oh, like, yeah, that guy makes sense. Yeah, just great. Just kind of fun. And uh, yeah, I thought it was just kind of like cute enough, just zany enough, enough twists and turns. They did a great job with this book. Yeah, definitely pick this one up in trade if you didn't get it in single issues. Next up, Deep Cuts. Number three Deep from Image cut. Deep Cuts from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, art by Diego Greco. Mm-hmm. Every issue of this book is about music and it ties into not necessarily a family experience, though I think two of them were family experiences. Mm-hmm. This one very specifically is about an old jazz man who has left the tour, left the road, left the right life, and is living with his daughter and his wife. Uh, and there's another on the way, and he's got to kind of figure out what to do with his life going forward. What I really appreciate about this one in particular was how sweet it was. It yeah. didn't – like, uh, each of these issues have been kind of sweet in their own way. They're not really necessarily dark tales of working in music, but this one – I expected it to go in so many different directions, and the way that it went was very heartwarming. 
Yeah, I really appreciate this as a performer, as someone who enjoys like getting on the stage and doing shows like I think they handled that really well of like this thing of like really feeling alive and feeling like you're doing something, you're putting something out there that people can enjoy and can brings joy to the world. And like, why wouldn't you want to get paid to do that? And wouldn't that be great? But this thing about this other life, about being a dad and being a family and and that being less than a performer, I think was really cool. The way the father was just like, hey, you know, like I get just as much joy out of, you know, being here. I can still make music. I can still kind of like sing and do stuff. It just... You know, I think just finding the balance in life, I thought it was just like a cool way of talking about it and dealing uh, and kind of ha- uh, uh, talking to his daughter about because she was just like, why, you know, why, you know, daddy, what's so big about it? I thought it was just uh, well done. Artistically, it was really cool. The way the music kind of flows throughout this was very interesting and cool. This was uh, a well done book. Yeah, so far this book is three for three in my mind. Yeah. I'm really liking it quite a bit. Murder, Inc., Jagger Rose, number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Avon Oming. Picking up at the last issue where Jagger Rose visited the Pope in this world that has been taken over by the Bob. Things go very poorly in America as the remaining U.S. government tries to take things back from the mob, and nobody wants that. They really don't want that, uh, and there's a big twist and a change for Jagger Rose by the end. This book, uh, or at least this issue, is pretty funny. Yeah, this is great. I mean, it's too bad we couldn't talk to this creative team about oh, this wait, book. Oh, wait, we did. About, we had them uh, on the show to talk about this very book. On the live show. You can go back and listen to the whole podcast interview. Uh, anyways... Uh, that bit aside, uh, yeah, this is just continuous. I mean, the uh, the writing and the art are, are such a fantastic combination in this kind of cool way. Um, I'm glad that, uh, you know, uh, you, Philly gets some acknowledgement of being fucked over by the government again in this issue. So very cool, very well done, uh, politically savvy. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Last but not least, let's talk about Haunt You to the End, number two from Image Comics, written by Ryan Cady, art by Andrea Moody. This is about a group that is traveling to the most haunted island on Earth 48 hours before it's scheduled to be destroyed to try to prove that ghosts exist. Here's a little spoiler for you. Ghosts do exist. Ah, ah. Pete, I know you get very scared about this stuff. Were you scared by this book? Uh, yes and no, yeah, yeah, haunt you then, post a pack kind of uh zombie action, if you will. Great art, very interesting story. I want to check out more, but the art had this kind of cool watercolor feel that I'm a sucker for, so yeah, this was in my wheelhouse. I enjoyed it. Yeah, this is this is good, this is solid. I want more twists here. So far, this is going in every direction that I kind of expect it to be going in, and I want to see a little more of what's going on. But like you said, I do like the Andrea Moody art. I think it channels the feeling of a horror movie very well, but yeah. this doesn't seem too much beyond like a little bit of an Aliens-inflected haunted house movie. So okay. Wh- where, okay. where's the big... Where's the big swing here? Where's That's the what beef? I want to, where's where's the beef? Exactly. Where's the beef? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
You know where the beef is? It's on our Patreon, patreon.com slash comic book club, it where is. you can support this show. It is. We have great we have conversations a, We have there. a beef. No, we have a beef level. If you pledge $100 <laughs> or more, we send you uh, beef don't, every month. We don't. Don't say that, because what if somebody wants that? that? Now I gotta add that. Yeah, you gotta add that. I gotta that add that to the Patreon. Where are you gonna get your beef from? You know what I mean? Oh, like, my God. Uh, where, you where, where'd you guy. get this beef from? This beef's really good. Oh, I got it from the comic, comic book, book club. The comic book club. <laughs> from their Patreon. They send me beef every month. Yeah, they got a beef hookup. It's really great. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, but probably pretty fucked up. <laughs> Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram, and TikTok, Comic Book Club Live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Shop. Thanks for listening. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.